Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the debate continues over lockdowns across the country. We have the toughest restrictions in North America. We have the toughest restrictions in Canada right now. And we're throwing everything uh, at this virus. Different levels of government battle over vaccines. We're waiting for more supplies. We are, we continue uh, to uh, be held back by the federal government's failure to secure adequate uh, doses. And former Bank of Canada Governor Mark Carney prepares to speak at the Liberal Convention. It makes me think back to remember uh, a guy named Michael Ignatieff who was called up to speak at a, a Liberal Party convention, I think it was in Ottawa, uh, back in the uh, you know early 2000s, and that heralded his arrival uh, on the Canadian political scene. It's Tuesday, April the 6th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics, Peter Van Dusen. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you again. Let's start with where we stand on lockdowns across the country and fighting the third wave of the coronavirus pandemic in many parts of Canada. And throughout this pandemic, there has been an effort, I think, on the parts of various levels of government to try to present a united front to the members of the public. Um, but there seem to be some fractures in that recently, and and uh, we're seeing evidence of dissent, whether it's about the, the lockdown measures or about vaccines between provincial governments and federal governments, uh, and even between provincial governments and municipal governments. So where do you think we stand, and what's at the heart of all of that? Well, we stand, in a, for many Canadians, I think, in a, in a state of confusion. We're, we're, we're coming to a place where you know you don't ever want to be in a pandemic when you're trying to uh, marshal public support uh, you know get people to follow rules and you have a lot of people wondering who they should believe and that's not a good thing uh, i think it's uh, you know a little bit concerning to see what we've seen over the last number of days here and in particular i think on you know ontario is a an important case to look at where you have you know, the, the medical officers of health in regional health units in three parts of Ontario uh, actually writing a letter to the chief medical officer of the province calling for a full lockdown and stay-at-home measures, which Ontario, you know, isn't doesn't have yet, uh, certainly not the full stay-at-home orders that we saw early on in, in, at the outbreak of the pandemic. And I think that's, that's worrisome and, and fairly exceptional for the most part when health leaders and, and political leaders have, you know, you know, at times disagreed on on the approach, it was often very nuanced and sort of close levels of interpretation of well, yeah, if we go this way, yeah, maybe we could do a little more, but we're erring on this side uh, because there's mental health issues, there's economic issues, but I think it's it's fairly exceptional to see, you know, three. Uh, regional uh, health officers where the outbreak has uh, spiked, where uh, the number of cases is is jumping and the number of variants is spreading, uh, actually writing a letter uh, to say, look, what you're doing is not good enough. Uh, we want stay-at-home orders now, um, you know, in full disagreement and in full public disagreement to uh, what the provincial orders are. And, and the reason it strikes me as exceptional, Mark, is that you have to think, 
these health leaders are in constant communication uh, by phone, and in fact, they acknowledge that. So you'd have to think in this case, there would have been telephone conversations about, we want you to do more, and the response would have been, no, I think what we're doing now is fine. So frustration to the point where these three uh, regional health leaders decide they're going to write a letter and make it public saying, we want you to do more because you're not doing enough. And I think that uh, causes a little bit of concern or a lot of concern for uh, for Canadians, in this case, we're talking in in the province of Ontario, uh, about who they should believe and whether they're feeling safe or not. And that's worrisome, as I say, in a, in a pandemic, you need everybody following the orders and understanding why they're following the orders and everybody imposing the orders to agree they're the right orders. And we're not seeing that right now. Yeah. All right, let's turn to vaccines, because um, uh, at the same time as this is happening, of course, Canadians are being vaccinated, but we're hearing reports of unused vaccines. We're hearing jurisdictional battles, uh, or at least kind of shots being lobbed back and forth about who's responsible for the slow introduction of vaccines in some cases. And at the same time, we're also hearing millions and millions of vaccines are on their way to Canada, which could accelerate things in the weeks ahead. So... Uh, where do you think things stand around that? Well, you have to think they're only going to get better. Um, there's, you know, there's, you don't hear anybody talking about how the supply is going to be curtailed, and if that starts to happen, then uh, that's a big problem. But we have been and continue uh, to be focused on a ramping up of vaccines, and there, you know, I, I, I think you're going to see some of this fighting about you know about deliveries and timelines and the timelines changing and provinces critical of the federal government for for the supply i mean you're going to see that until essentially the systems become overwhelmed uh, with so much vaccine and that's what you want to get to you want you want the systems to be having to pump out tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of vaccinations a day uh, across the country trying to keep up with the the arrival of supply not sure we're there yet, but that's that's the ultimate objective, and I I think you're going to continue to see if you know if if timelines change and the communication system isn't working the way it should, with provinces you know complaining that they're not getting enough notification, enough time uh, to to readjust their their vaccination schedules if if uh, supplies are slowed up. They want better communication that way, but all of that will get resolved if there's so much vaccine that Ottawa's, you know, firing it at the door as fast as Canada, the provinces, and the provinces then, uh, you know, uh, have to be mindful of of whether they can keep up. And if we start hearing stories out of the provinces with, you know, lots of vaccine in the provinces, but lineups and and delayed appointments and everything else because you know, they're not getting uh, the needles into arms fast enough, and that'll be a, a different problem to watch for, and that, that'll be squarely on the provinces. If there's lots of vaccine and they can't they can't pump it out and give the shots, then uh, that's going to be a problem they'll have to answer for. All right, something else on the horizon is the fact that both the Liberals and the NDP have their party conventions this weekend. Of course, a couple of weeks ago, it was the Conservatives who had their policy convention. That was widely watched and covered among political observers. Uh, There were a couple of interesting things that arose from that. Let's start with the Liberals, because already there's some discussion about what's happening at the convention, because the former Bank of Canada governor and Bank of England governor, Mark Carney, who's back in Canada now, has a new book out, will be speaking at the Liberal convention. And some people have suggested this is a demonstration of partisanship on his part. But of course, he's not in any sort of 
a public role anymore. Um, so what do you think it means that he's speaking at this convention? And and does it perhaps mean that he's someone who's considering a run for office at some point, as has been widely speculated? Yeah, he's still got a couple of you know jobs with the United Nations and so on. But he's been advising uh, the Liberal government on economic policy for the last number of months. So that's not a huge surprise to people. But it, it makes me think back, Mark. We've been at this long enough to remember uh, uh, a guy named Michael Ignatieff who was... Uh, called up to speak at a, a Liberal Party convention. I think it was in Ottawa, you know, back in the uh, you know early 2000s, and that heralded his arrival uh, on the Canadian political scene as a as a as a Liberal and uh, as we know, uh, someone who went on eventually to be the the Liberal Party leader. Uh, it feels a little bit like that. It feels like a little bit of a coming out party. Although Mr. Carney's been very careful about you know saying you know exactly why he's speaking there or whether it portends a, a future run at politics, telling reporters, oh, you'll all be the first to know if I decide to make a run for office. But, you know, I think it's, it's uh, you know, you know, Mark Carney's one of those guys, guys that has, uh, you know, uh, uh, pretty, you know, pretty impressive credentials uh, as a former Bank of Canada governor and, you know, uh, you know, providing the same role in, in Great Britain, and now he's back in Canada. So there's lots of buzz around that, and, you know, the con- you know, lots of buzz just around the convention itself. The fact that it's, you know, it's a big virtual get-together, as the Conservatives had, the, the timing of it just ahead of the budget, just ahead of uh, still lots of people talking about the possibility of a, a snap uh, late spring election. Um, so... Yeah, having Mark Carney there, it's he's a marquee marquee speaker, and I'm sure he'll have uh, lots to say. And uh, you know, you'd, you'd you'd have to expect it'll be very laudat- laudatory. And that's what liberals want to hear. They want to hear Mark Carney say, "You're on the right track as a government in terms of supporting people through the pandemic. You have the right rebuild strategy for a, a greener economy coming down the road." So they want to be able to point to Mark Carney as a guy who endorses their plan if we do head into an election. So. You know, uh, there'll be lots of liberals talking about that. I'd be curious to see whether, uh, you know, anything comes up about one of the big policy items they're discussing uh, from the grassroots is uh, the idea of a, a universal basic income. Uh, they point, a lot of liberals point to the government's support of Canadians during the pandemic with the CERB, right. uh, the uh, emergency response benefit, and uh, allowing every, you know, Keeping Canadians whole uh, was the promise during the pandemic, and that's led people to say, well, look, if we had to do it during a pandemic, uh, some of these people suffer greatly without uh, financial supports uh, when there is no pandemic. So why shouldn't we be a country with a universal basic income? So that's going to be one of the things they're going to be debating, along with paying close attention to what Mark Carney has to say about liberal economic policy. And just quickly for the NDP, what do you expect from their convention? There's been a lot of talk about income equality, uh, uh, wealth inequities in our society, the rich getting richer, and so on. Uh, and what's at stake in this convention for a party that uh, that will be voting on the budget, uh, obviously, and, and that's relevant, but is not in a position, at least as far as the opinion polls indicate right now, to be... Uh, a threat to form government after the next election. Yeah, it's all going to be a bit messaging for the Democrats. I mean, as as their you know conventions uh, always are, uh, and I think the message you're going to hear is for a party that slipped back to you know twenty uh, percent or less in the polls, back to their 
sort of traditional levels prior to, you know, the big surge under Jack Layton. It's all about, you know, the, the conscience of Canada. Here's the way, you know, we should be treating. You'll hear the, the same familiar themes we've been hearing from the NDP during the pandemic, you know, cracking down on high-income earners, uh, you know, no more, uh, you know, private for-profit uh, uh, health care in, in terms of long-term long-term care. You'll hear a lot about that. It'll, for the NDP, it's, I mean, the message is always the same when we have this kind of dynamic in Canadian politics because they're very close in terms of policies. When you look at what's going to be on offer at the convention, what Liberals are talking about, you know, greening the economy, supporting energy workers who might be displaced in a, in a new green economy. New Democrats are saying the same thing as Liberals in many ways on that. But New Democrats will always come back to this market. It'll always be about, you know, the Liberals steal our policies, they talk a good game, and then they don't implement the policies. They talk about it to get elected, and then they don't do it. So the Democrats will spend a lot of time saying, these are the fundamental bedrock policies of a, of a of a potential new democratic party federal government in canada and you can bet if we get in we'll implement them so that'll be their message that if you want these things you vote ndp and you get them if you if you like the sound of them uh but you you're not you know that concerned whether they get implemented or not then you vote liberal so that's the messaging you'll hear all right lots to watch this week peter thank you so much for joining us today all right, Mark, good to talk to you. We'll talk again. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. We have the toughest restrictions in North America. We have the toughest restrictions in Canada right now. And we're throwing everything uh, at this virus. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At National News Watch, Jorg Broshek argues the pandemic has exposed a leadership problem in Canadian federalism. Broshek writes... Our response has been a tale of success and failure, set east and west of the Quebec-New Brunswick border. The proactive approach in the Atlantic provinces was a display of unilateral coordination, while the other provinces stuck to a reactive approach. Had Ottawa capitalized on its political and fiscal strength to muster a more coordinated response, not only could we have avoided many deaths and extended lockdowns, we could also confront the third wave of the pandemic as a truly resilient federation. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues public health experts must take a wide view of risk. The Star writes, Erring on the side of caution in the face of the unknown resonates resoundingly in this pandemic era. Think of the federal government's laggardly guidance on mask wearing. Think of its whack-a-mole approach to screening travelers arriving from abroad. The importance of timely, consistent, and forward-thinking risk assessments cannot be overestimated. We know too painfully the impact of underestimating this pandemic. In the Globe and Mail, André Picard argues who we vaccinate matters as much as how many we vaccinate. Picard writes, Prioritizing the vaccination of elders in institutional care and frontline health workers was the right move. Yet for the most part, residents of long-term care homes have received only one dose so far. There is emerging evidence that the wait cannot be too long, especially for the most vulnerable, such as frail elders and others with immune deficiencies. In other words, many people can afford to wait, but some cannot. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The House of Commons continues its Easter recess this week, but a number of committees are holding hearings. 
This week, two separate committees will continue their hearings into allegations of sexual misconduct in the Canadian Forces. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, both the Commons Defence Committee as well as a Standing Committee on the Status of Women will continue their look into allegations of sexual misconduct at the highest level of the Canadian Forces. This after allegations emerged concerning the former Chief of Defence Staff, General Jonathan Vance, now retired, and after the serving Chief of Defence Staff, Admiral Art MacDonald, stepped down several weeks ago to himself face allegations of misconduct. On Thursday, the Status of Women Committee will be hearing from a longtime advocate in the fight against sexual assault and a survivor of harassment and stalking. They'll also hear from a woman former member of the forces who alleged that she was raped by a senior officer only to be fired by the forces. Now, her case recently has been reopened after a court threw out the acquittal of her alleged aggressor. Today, at the Defence Committee, among other witnesses, MPs will hear from the government's former top bureaucrat, the former Privy Council clerk, Michael Wernick. The Privy Council was the body responsible for looking into allegations of sexual misconduct. So, Mark, two interesting sets of committee hearings this week. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will hold a news conference to speak about the COVID-19 situation, along with Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc, Health Minister Patty Haidu, and federal health officials. He will also host the Prime Minister's Science Fair. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will participate virtually in the G7 Finance Ministers and Central Bank Governors meeting. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at an event hosted by the Terrace and District Chamber of Commerce. Minister of Northern Affairs Dan Vandal will make several clean energy announcements. And Special Representative for the Prairies Jim Carr will announce funding from the New Horizons for Seniors program. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, April the 6th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.